Welcome to The Josh Ryan Show, a weekly podcast where I sit down and chat with highly successful digital entrepreneurs, experts, and creators to uncover their stories, secrets, and lessons that they've learned along the way to help you with your own projects. Let's get into today's interview. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today, I am joined by a second fellow Kiwi on the show, uh, Kennedy, who is a social media wizard, content creator, uh, creative director at the Magnitude Group, White & Co. 25. You've got a whole pile of companies um, and also starred in the very first Apprentice Aotearoa TV series. So welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. I would uh, be embarrassed to call myself a social media wizard around yourself. So <laughs> let's just stick to business and then I'll, I'll leave the social media um, Yeah. You. I mean, you do a pretty good job of it. And it's, I mean, you've definitely used it very, very well to build a lot of your companies because you've got quite a few totally. going, which is impressive. Thank you. Yeah. So for those of you, for, for the listeners who don't know you, um, can you just run us through like how you got into entrepreneurship and digital marketing at such a young age? Cause you're, you're still what? 25, 24. Yeah. 24. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I guess, yeah, going right back to the start of the story was definitely I started a social media agency called Colab. And I guess the main purpose or reason that I even wanted to fall into that was because of my passion for photography. So uh, before all of this, I was a creative at heart. Apologies to interrupt your listening experience, but I just wanted to jump in and say, if you're enjoying this podcast so far, I would really appreciate it if you went ahead and left a review on whatever platform you listen on. By simply spending five or 10 seconds to leave a review, it helps us reach more people and grow the podcast, which allows us to get better guests on and give you better content. So if you're enjoying it, let me know with a review, much appreciated. Thank you for your support and enjoy the rest of the interview. The fool didn't listen in school, only focused on what I liked to design and create and build and stuff like that. And so that kind of became quickly my passion. That was the only way I even got into uni. I pretty much failed at everything else, um, yeah. <laughs> including business, got a very bad grades in business, um, oh, which I quite like now. I hope that <laughs> my yeah. get to watch these things. Um, yeah. So always a creative. That's what got me into uni. I studied industrial design or product design. Um, and so I was quite into like this whole merging creative and business together. And then um, as I started to post online and get the kind of knack for the online world and, and how to do it all and figured out that possibly there was a way to make money online, which I think is a key factor for a lot of people jumping into this world or taking it so seriously anyway. Um, yeah. I realized that, yeah, when I would post my stuff, people would like it. And so I started posting a lot of photography. Um, it did decently well. This is back when Instagram was fun to grow on and <laughs> genuinely could grow from posting, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And yeah, and that's kind of how it worked. And then I quite quickly realized that the more silly and goofy I was on my stories around my photography, people really took a liking to it. They saw that like I was creating beautiful work, but at the same time I was kind of having a laugh and that quickly kind of became my brand. And so as I was building up my own platform, I think I got to like, I don't know, 10,000 maybe by the time I was at uni. And at the time that obviously felt really big to me. Um, and so brands and businesses like friends and families, businesses started to reach out to me and ask if I could help them with their social media. And that's, pretty much how I think a lot of social media managers end up starting. They do it yeah. for themselves and then they quite quickly transition into helping out friends and brands and stuff like that. I wanted to take it a step further and um, prove that I could do it this way. And so I created a video, which I felt 
separated myself out from other social media managers. I wasn't just going to tell you that I could do it. I was going to show you how I did it. And so I built a video that was pretty much me talking and saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what it's called. Um, and this is why it's like going to be the best. And I put $200 boosting budget behind it because boy, did I not know how to run ads. Um, yeah. and, and it got me 10 clients and Fuck that up. there was kind of like my proof that like quality qu- content could get you like good leads and create a business out of it. And so I used that me starting this business to prove to these businesses that I could do it for them. Um, and do it in a way that wasn't just promising to post online, doing it in a way where content was the main focus. So that's kind of what started my agency collab was that content was at the forefront. I wanted yep. to everyone that I could shoot and, and, and create, and that's what was going to get you the likes, the views, the comments, rather than just um, posting online and hoping for the best. Now, that quite quickly transitioned because that all sounded like a good idea up front, um, but boy, did it take a lot of time and costings. Um, to make this work, I guess. And as I started to scale the agency, I realized I couldn't be in every place at once and I couldn't be creating for every brand around the world um, like I promised or like I wanted to do so. So I got to about a team of eight at the agency when I quickly realized, not quickly actually, when I realized um, that too much for me to handle or at my age, I think it was 19 or 20, um, when I made the decision that it's probably best to look for mentors or to get someone to help me make this profitable. And then, yeah, the rest is history. I joined up with Glass Elephant, um, I merged agencies. So I ended up selling 50% of my agency collab to the agency Glass Elephant. And I learned a lot from that. I learned how to make a business profitable. And then from there on out, all the other businesses fell out from that. I learned how to run successful e-commerce stores. I had the knack for design and content and knew that I could do that for my own stuff. So I figured why give all my best ideas away to everybody else when I could be doing it for myself. Um, Yeah, and then it kind of came full circle. I started doing that a lot. And then quickly realized that I was burning out massively and I uh, couldn't do it all. I thought I could do it yeah. all. And um, I just wanted to keep creating and building things and realized that I was going to have 10 little average things or I could really hone in onto these like few that were going to make me as successful as I wanted to be, not specifically just money value, but feel like I'd made something. So yeah, that's kind of where the rest of them patted off and Glass Elephant and a couple of those other ones became like my key focus. And that's, yeah, where we are today. That's a pretty incredible story. And um, yeah, especially at still such a young age. Um, you're probably the first person I've heard have very positive results with boosting posts on Facebook. Oh my God, I, I know. Like, <laughs> I think I was, I was definitely, this is 2017, I think. So this is when boosting posts are, yeah. to be fair, it was definitely just an engagement thing. A lot of those, I actually still have one of those clients now to the day. So I'm quite proud of that. One of the ones that joined on 10, yeah, five, four years ago. Um, it's still around, but yeah, honestly, probably every other post I've done since then boosting wise has just been fake engagement. So I'm like, not really here for it. Yeah. Ah, fair enough. And yeah, you, so you, you sold your agency, you sold part of it when you were 20. I feel like I did that only recently, like become public, like in the past couple of years, because yeah, so I feel like I didn't I, see. I merged- I merged 50% and then at 22, at 22, I sold the whole thing. So there was just just no point in me grabbing on to like this thing when I needed to be growing at a rate, like Glass Elephant and the Magnitude Group was taking off and it was all very good and well for a little bit. I was like learning as we go, but they needed me to learn really, really quickly or I was probably going to get left behind. And so we made the decision as a group collectively that I would sell the rest of the shares and collapsed four shares in the magnitude group. So I became an owner and a founder oh, yeah. of Glass Elephant in the magnitude group. It was more like a share swap than a sale. Um, 
And that way I got to kind of grow on their journey. And like you said, I'm still young. So my goal around it was to kind of soak up as much information from these people around me as I can, um, come along for the ride. And if this thing blows up, then fantastic. And if not, boy, we'll have what I learned along the way has been pretty great. So yeah, that's what that, I guess that's probably where you saw that kind of merger was when it completely happened. Um, yeah. We kind of became Gecko, GE Colab, and then we just kind of started to drop Colab off slowly. And it's just kind of the magnitude group now, which is the collection of companies. Ah, okay. I was always a little bit confused about that because, yeah, I did feel like the last couple of <laughs> years I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's awesome. And, yeah, like you say, even if worst case scenario, you know, doesn't go well, like you've learned so much you can then apply to anything else like you've got all that real world experience from the brands you've built and the people you're around. Yeah. I definitely think that's probably like the biggest piece out of all this for me was that I wasn't going to learn as quickly as I did anywhere else. Like without this real world experience, I wouldn't have been able to leverage and move as quickly as I've been able to. And so I'm super grateful for that. I, I've got nothing against uni, but boy, what I've learned in the last four years being in the real world of it all has been huge. Yeah. Well, I feel like when you're in the real world, like you're, instead of spending three years studying accounting or something, you like hire an accountant that brings all that experience in and you might have like an hour meeting with them each month or a couple months. And then you're like soaking in all that side of things. And yeah. you've got that with all these other people. Um, and so you learn much, much faster. 100%. One, um, one thing that I like about what you've done is you seem to have built your personal brand and then you're launching these other brands like off the side of it. Like you've got your, your teeth whitening company, um, you've got the meal replacement 2025 20, and, and so on. How have you been able to do this without like burning out again? Um, I guess is probably what I'm, I'm looking for there. Like how do you launch something and then scale it without, and then do the next thing? Ah, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> when I know, I'll let you know. Um, yeah, I think there's goods and bads to how I've built the businesses. I think the good part around e-commerce as probably everyone on this call knows is that it can be wildly scaled across the world at a rapid rate and you can do it from your couch if you needed to. And so definitely proud of how I've created these businesses and what I've learned from it. However, there's goods and bads to building brands around your personal brand, right? Like now yeah. the whitening co is possibly getting there after four to five years that I, it could be viable without me, but a lot of these businesses are built around me, you know? Um, and so not that that's, like I said, not that that's the wrong thing, but it means that when it, I, all these businesses I'm building to sell, right? And so I need to ensure that they can survive on their own um, in order to do so. But because of social media and because of the leverage that I'm, I'm lucky enough to have, I've built them that way. Um, Whitening Co has probably been the hardest graft out of them all just because of the length and probably the passion involved. I think a lot of the other ones I'm either a smaller shareholder in or I've either, like, for example, my print business collection, I do own it completely. However, it's a business connected to profit. Like I've built it as a or like made to order business. Everything I built around it was with my knowledge of e-commerce now and how to scale a business. Whereas the Whitening Co was built off a passion for product design, a passion for the color black and just wanting to make yeah. this, these amazing, beautiful products. And there's goods and bads to that. And I love, I genuinely love that I've got the different businesses to do different things like that. But I do think, yeah, there's, a time and a place for a business with passion and a time and a place for a business for profit. And I guess how I managed to make sure they didn't burn out was that, for example, the whitening coat, every time I work on it, it feels like a hobby or like a genuine passion. It feels like I'm excited to give it a couple of hours here and there um, at the end of the day to ensure that it's still going. 
Um, however, because it man I managed to take it off decently well, after probably about two years of grafting, it managed to kind of get its own legs. I then was able to hire staff. And because I've got business partners and team members involved with the Whitening Co., it can technically be self-sufficient without me. And that was probably a big factor in like the whole burnout strategy because I quite quickly realized that if I wanted to grow Glass Elephant Co-Label and Magnitude Group, I needed to be giving it pretty much 95% of my time. Now, I learned that from a mentor. I thought I could do it all, as we probably all felt yeah. like at one point. And they quite quickly told me that you're not, you're not going to get anywhere near what you want as a result unless you're giving one thing almost all of your attention. And that was a really hard pill for me to swallow because I just wanted to continuously open up businesses. Like, that was, like, the dream. Um, yeah. So I quick, yeah, I made the decision to give Glass Elephant 95% of my time and made sure that if the businesses wanted to survive around that, like the Whitening Co, I had people to help me out around that, I guess, and then quite quickly just sectioned off my time, man. So I wasn't going to make it if I continued to, to burn out all the time. And so I literally would allocate certain hours of the day or certain times of the week where that would be like my Whitening Co time. And I would work on it as much as I possibly could in those areas. And then if I could get friends and family and stuff like that to help me pack orders in the meantime, I did yeah. it. Um, luckily, I'm at a stage where pretty much all of those businesses, probably bar collection, my prints, are at a stage now where they pretty much are self-sufficient and run on their own. And then it's good because then I've got a business like like my print business that technically, if I don't make any sales, it's not the end of the world. But if I do make some sales, that's just nice, a nice little buffer on top. Yeah, so I guess you've you've almost like yeah built a strong team around it where you can where they can handle the day to day and then you can come in and, and add to it and have those you know good ideas or promote it and so yeah, on. Yeah, I totally and and that's kind of I guess where my strong suit was. I thought that running a business and being a big boss man was going to be like my strong suit, which it totally isn't. And I think yeah. it's probably like the misconstrued part about business was that I thought I could come in and, and be it all. I always thought I was going to be the CEO. Um, and so far I'm not, right? I'm the creative director and I'm super happy about that because I found myself stuck in P&L meetings and HR meetings and all these things that I was like, oh, hold on a minute. That's actually not exciting yeah. me in any way. And so I guess, yeah, like you said, I fell into that that role of the ideas. If that's what people need from me and that's what I can provide. And I didn't realize that I could do that and other people couldn't do that. And I kind of fell into this rhythm of, oh, awesome. If I can jump in, give everyone these ideas on where to go, and then they can action it for me, then perfect. I've figured out my like my spot. And I had to figure that out quite quickly because, like, yeah, honestly, trying to be the managing director of CoLab was probably, like, my biggest turning point. I just couldn't do it. I thought I could, and it was just so hard. And I learned a few yeah. things about that from, from, like, the show The Apprentice and stuff. It's I was super comfortable in the fact that I was going on there as a creative director and entrepreneur, whereas I feel like a lot of people – not specifically on my season, but just on shows like that, go in expecting that they're going to be the boss of all bosses and like the kingpin and, and like the top of the top when I definitely still want to see my businesses flourish like that, but it doesn't specifically have to have me at the head. That's all. Yeah. You want to, you found where you can bring the most unique value to the company. Yeah. That value <coughs> is probably the biggest point there. Yeah, absolutely. It's where, what is actually going to benefit the business and not just my ego. Yeah. And that's interesting that you said that you didn't really realize like other people couldn't do that as well until like other people couldn't do the same stuff that you can do creatively. Cause I think a lot of the time, the things that you're good at, you don't realize that other people aren't cause like, yeah, it just comes so just, naturally. Yeah. Right? Totally. Exactly. Possibly being in like things like university and stuff like that. I was surrounded by, I was in a course surrounded by people like myself. And so it didn't, it didn't feel overly amazing or like, cool and then i guess putting myself into like i said the real world business experience and then starting to realize that the reason i was actually being invited to client meetings and stuff like that was that i could sit there come up with a couple of ideas on the spot in front of them and they all really liked them and i was like 
oh, okay, hold on, we're at, this is the secret source. This is what we're playing with here. And yeah, and then it's just knowing your value, knowing where your position sits in that company has probably been, yeah, a really big learning point for myself. Yeah, that's massive. Have you, did you find that becoming, like building all these brands and becoming successful at a young age, did you get any, do you find any like tall poppy syndrome or backlash against like, yeah, you know, because yeah. you're, you're also putting it out there and a lot of people are probably seeing it as well, as opposed to someone that might just be private and doing something. Yeah, to I mean, 100%. And I, I guess, uh, yeah, to me, I don't even consider myself overly successful yet. I guess probably where I set my success levels is like, yeah, like different to others. And so to me, I'm not even really sh showing off an exorbitant amount of success, but totally, I see where it comes from. And I do see it online sometimes. And I do get a bit of it. Um, I'm super lucky that possibly I try to show a lot. I try to show the, oh, in, in stages, I don't do it all the time, but I try to show a bit of the graft, a bit of the hustle behind it so that if, and when I do get to celebrate the successes, it hopefully is met with like, oh my God, yep. He, he did that by grafting and not just getting there. But there definitely is times, man, like the second that I brought my house, the amount of people that I had, literally, I accidentally left the auction number in my sold post oh, yeah, yeah. found my address which was bad and then they also found out how much my house was worth and i had literally people calculating and figuring out how much money that i would have to earn in order to pay off my mortgage which i just thought was what i was like we're we're and yeah. on fake accounts as well like we're going to that level to take someone down that we're like how are you worth da -da 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 -da? and like yeah. you have no idea someone's situation or, or how it worked etc so that's probably like one of the bigger ones that i saw around it and i was like a bit baffled because i was like seriously like i've worked so hard to get here and to be fair this whole house was bought off at a, tr a trip that COVID cancelled so like that's where that's yeah. kind of where it all comes from and i guess dealing with it to me has just been quite literally shutting it off i know that's easier said than done because a lot of people possibly don't have the online situation and so i guess because i've we both of us have an online situation it becomes a little bit yeah. easier to shut that side off um but absolutely man and i don't I, I feel like a lot of people do say in new zealand we have this huge tall poppy syndrome but personally i think it's pretty global i think yeah no matter where you are you're gonna get someone who is upset that you are succeeding faster than them and i guess I just love helping people eh? like if someone's going to be in that situation where I can even detect it a little bit and I want to give them the time of day, don't obviously do it to everybody. I just talk to them about it. And I'm like, Hey, so what do you like? What do you want to do? Like, what do you want to build? I find great excitement and passion in understanding what someone wants to do. And if they do want to do what I do, maybe I could give them a few tips or like success stories and point them in the right direction. And I quite like killing them with kindness. I feel like that's quite fun. Yeah, that's often the way to go, especially, uh, I find it funny when people are very angry online and then it's just, you come back with something nice and they're like, don't know how to yeah, take I, it. Sometimes I voice message reply to them because I feel like it, like yeah. that, that like, I'm not a human out of it. And so I go, Hey mate, like, yeah. da, 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 da. I learned that from Simone Anderson, the influencer as well. And she would always reply to her oh, yeah. harsh comments with a voice message and just explain to them. And it literally just breaks everybody down. It makes you think like, how can you attack a nice human? Yeah, because people don't think it's like a real person on the other end yeah, of the screen. That TikTok's the worst of that, I reckon. I think oh, TikTok, yeah? because you're just going out to all these different people at all these different times and like you genuinely, they don't know you from a bar of soap, right? Like through Instagram now, you kind of have to find someone and you get to know them a little bit. TikTok yeah. is completely random. I feel like people are so quick to just take you down because they just don't even view you like a person. They just view you like this person dancing on their screen. Yeah. And because TikTok's very anonymous, like most people, or, I mean, you've still got a lot of fake accounts on Instagram and private accounts, but there's a lot more people creating content on Instagram and it's like 
whereas TikTok is like a lot of consumers and very few people posting. And so, yeah, that's, that's the yeah. growth tactic behind it all right now, right? There's the amount of accounts that are user 57777, the amount of people that I know that say that they're not on TikTok, but still have an account just to like watch yeah. stuff is huge. And it's probably going to set video content scary, right? And so like, it's that next level of breaking down a barrier between online and real life. And I feel like even for myself, I struggle with that sometimes. So I can only imagine what the everyday users like, no, I'm not going to post a video of me on like talking. That seems crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think TikTok then I guess switching a little bit is one of the better opportunities on social media for people that uh, are trying to build a brand or are trying to build a business? Yeah, I do. I, I've got a, a small passion and, and soft spot for Meta and like an Instagram. Um, but just because of like pretty like soppy as the time that we've spent together, but just, just because of growing it all and doing it all and having a passion for curated content. Absolutely. But I quite quickly realized that my engagement rates were dropping like crazy and it was because i wasn't putting out the right content that these platforms wanted right like instagram quite quickly not punished but turned around and was like look if you're not going to be a, help us compete with tiktok we're not going to show you up as much and so yeah like receiving that kind of information and knowing that that's probably the reason why i'm not growing i quite quickly realized that if you wanted to run a successful e-commerce brand these days you're either going to be on tiktok twitter or pinterest and like, it's important that you're diversifying your platforms. Whereas previously it was like, you could run an entire thing from Instagram and that be it. And I think that I'm actually excited about the change though. Cause I think that it allows brands to first of all, scale at a rate that was really, really hard to do for a while, but also like it possibly weeds out some of like the, the shittier brands, if I can say that. And like, I think it, yep. I like the idea that you can now communicate with users. They can do videos about your product and you can actually like tell a bit of behind the scenes. You can tell founders content, all that stuff that works really well on TikTok is like the more organic and real that it is, the better that it will perform. And I kind of like that avenue of tech of like TikTok because for a while there, my life became so filtered, curated, planned out because of Instagram. And it still kind of is on Instagram. I almost lost the passion for it because of that. And I feel like it's quite cool that brands can literally be pouring resin to make cups and that, you know, help them sell a lot. Yeah. That's an, that's an interesting way, I guess, to look at it a lot. Cause um, there's not that same like pressure around posting content to even Twitter as well. Like you mentioned, like using Twitter, Twitter, TikTok, Pinterest is not that same pressure of getting enough likes or getting well, enough engagement. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's more about test and error. And I think that's like the cool part about TikTok. And don't get me wrong. Like there's obviously stuff where you do want it to like go better than you actually did. But I feel like that's a little bit of the fun of it for a small brand now. Whereas there was a level of eliteness on Instagram. Like people felt like they had to pay for really expensive photo shoots and they had to do this and they had to do that to be a success, like to be a successful small business. And yep. I think TikTok has allowed a lot more people to do that. Now, don't get me wrong. We're still going to see this wave, right? We're going to see a whole bunch of people start small businesses, do really well because of TikTok, but then not be able to follow it up because they don't have a brand built. And I think that's where like my, my world can come into it pretty strong. And I think I'm actually doing a keynote speech tomorrow night about that. And it's genuinely about how like brand voice is probably more important than ever. We, we often talk about things like brand Bibles and brand guidelines and just brand in general being really important. But I think now that we're diversifying across platforms, things like all those different platforms have different levels of brand. Now the same brand might look like Apple online, but on TikTok, it's going to look completely different and it might, yeah. and it needs to, it needs to look like a user led brand. And they're like, 
our clients sometimes think that that's really scary. They're like, oh no, they're not, they're not looking like my brand. But to me, what a brand is, is personality and tone of voice, like tonality. So how your brand sounds, how it's communicated and like what that messaging is to me, as long as that's like uniform across all those platforms, you'll have a really strong brand. And I think that possibly that's the rise and the fall of some TikTok brands is that you'll see them like blow up because they did a really cool video. They've communicated their story quite well, but then maybe they don't have the community and that brand building side to their brand to continue it on past like a couple of years, you know, like it might be really successful for a little bit, but if you want to start scaling it and growing it, you need to have that community aspect. Now, some people do it really well. Like I've seen some incredible TikTok businesses do this, like yeah. almost better than some huge companies now, like it's impressive. But I think with anything with like the rise and fall of e-commerce, I think that you'll see that like that huge lump and then dip again. Seems especially common with TikTok though. Like like you say, like a lot more, you don't see it as often on other platforms. It seems like no, almost TikTok yeah. is definitely more prone to that. And I think even with like the algorithm being very, like you can see some people will blow up and get a silly amount of views. And then like, if they don't do the right things, like you say, it'll just dive. Like they might've been going from fast, a million man. views. Yeah, a million views a video. And then all of a sudden a month later, they're getting a few thousand, like it's crazy. Yeah, we've never, I don't think we've ever seen a platform change the world or move as quickly as TikTok has, not just in monthly users, like now they're already up to what meta it is and that's wild. Yeah. That, but also just how one person across the world can probably dictate what size jeans the rest of the world's going to wear for the next three weeks. Like that's just literally the power of it. But at the same time, it's so much quicker than it's ever been, right? That trend might yeah. last for a month and then it like disintegrates quite quickly. So I, I think it's equally as important to get those like viral aspects. But at the same time, if you can be consistent with TikTok and you're consistently getting five to 7,000 views, but you're building a brand, I think that's almost more valuable than getting one viral video and like seeing what, what you can get from that. Yeah, that slow progression eh, is, is much better than, because then you're probably also going to learn along the way. Yeah, you build that community, right? You build those people who like actually love your brand rather than see a a dropshippy type product and then think, oh my God, cool, I'll buy that. And then never like know what your brand is after that. Yeah, because I mean, it's much easier to have repeat customers as you would know than have one thing take off and do okay. Yeah, I'm all about that. I'm about that thousand customers that love you. Yeah. Yeah. What would you, what would you say would be the biggest mistakes you see brands make specifically around content um, like online? Because that's, I guess, your specialty. Yeah, I guess weirdly enough to me, the biggest mistake, which a year ago, I would have like hated anyone that said this on a podcast, but I think it would be the over curation. Like I am a huge fan of shoots and photography and polished lifestyle stuff. Like I just think it's beautiful and I love creating it, but I think yeah. the amount of brands that I still see pay $10,000 for a huge brand video. And I'm just like, if you put $10,000 toward TikTok UGC creators, you're probably going to get ROI times 10. Like yeah. it's, it just blows my mind. And so I've had to learn that the hard way. Like, and it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't something that I almost feel like this advice is valuable because it's definitely not something I even want to be saying. Like, I love the idea of brands spending loads of money with us to, to do these huge, beautiful shoots, but all the while knowing that plugging that money back into UGC creators and TikTok across the world to me, or not just, not just those type of videos, but like that UGC, I think is that the aspect of some shoddy type content, real reviews, people actually talking about your brand and product is going to be way more valuable than a huge brand video. Now, that's not to say that they're invalid, like they're not valuable at all. They've got a time and a place. And I think that if you've got the budget to 
burn on that kind of stuff and you want to grow your brand that way, I'm all for it. And I will still continue continue to do that stuff for my own brands because that's where I want to position myself. But that's only if I was doing both. I wouldn't only do the curated stuff now. I, if I had no budget, I would lean towards only doing shoddy UGC creators because I think that that's what actually builds a brand these days. I think people are wasting money doing huge video shoots. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. So you'd think that like the expensive branding side of things is probably something if you've got money to spare on doing that, but to get to, to I guess develop the brand, but the user generated stuff is what's actually going to get you an ROI if you're trying to Correct. build an yeah, audience, etc. Kind of, I think expensive branding is different. I think expensive brand content, um, yeah. I would always pay, I'm all, I'm the person for always pay more for your branding and getting that sorted to the start. I think the more established and beautiful that you look, uh, obviously you can evolve, but don't get me wrong. I think the more that customers are going to pay for you. So I'm all about branding being as slick as possible, but the actual content wise, I think the amount of small brands that I see put all their money into that to start with before even going out to creators and trying to grow organically, they try to go, they want to start with like the McDonald's level ad and then kind yep. of work their way backwards, which I think it should be totally the other way. Like get real reviews, do focus groups, get content from people that are genuinely just keen to receive your product and talk about it for you and then grow that way. And I think that you'll see so much better return on investment. Yeah. I mean, I don't do tons in like physical products, but everyone that I know that does like always, always raves about user generated content. Like it just That's seems to be the, vibe, right? yeah, is all I've heard from those people for about the past couple of years. It's <laughs> ridiculous. For your stuff, right? Like it's service based, right? Like so for example, your yeah. clients. I feel like you wouldn't invest in a huge brand video of like you leaning over oh, someone yeah. and like teaching them how to do it, like and making it look all polished. But possibly me sitting here in front of my computer saying, "Holy moly, Josh, help me get from here to here," would be a very powerful piece of content for you, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because a lot of the stuff is just selling a result, so we're not spending all this money on trying to. Yeah, have a fancy piece of content. It's like, we'll help them get from here to there. Exactly. Um, proof is in the pudding. And I feel like that's a little bit what UGC is. It's not I look, It's not completely real. Like, there's obviously people that are actually creators for this reason, but it, it strips it back to making you feel a little bit more honest about a brand. You know, you're literally hearing it from someone else's mouth rather than the brand telling you that they're the best things in sliced bread. Yeah. Now, another, I guess, switching over to another thing mentioned in the intro um you spent a couple months on the apprentice aotearoa which you briefly mentioned before as well and you did pretty well you were third on that correct fifth. top five fifth top five um how do you find that experience was it worth it like wild yeah wild um i don't think anything could have prepared me for it to be fair um and not even to sound dramatic i genuinely thought being from the world of like <laughs> film and instagram and that kind of thing that i was like I'll be sweet. Like this is, this will be a, this will be fine. Um, yeah. And like the first day that I got there and there's like 14 contestants total, and I started to quickly realize, I was like, look, if you're a business owner of sorts or some kind of entrepreneur and you've got the personality that would go on a TV show, you've got 14 very big personalities in one room, right? Like yeah. it takes a special type of person to go on a reality TV show and it takes an even different type of person to be to crazy enough to start businesses. And so I yeah. found myself like quiet on the first couple of days, which is, is not a thing for me. I'm a very talkative person and I literally like recluse. I was like, oh my God, this is really overwhelming. And just like permanently having a mic on for like 14 hours a day and learning like that they're probably just going to record most things that you say and like, and just all these little bits to it all that, I, and just like not talking. So like 
they want to capture a lot, like it's all not scripted and it's all pretty real, but they want to capture all your conversations on camera. So if you were to talk to like a contestant off camera, they'll separate you and they'll pause you and they'll go put you into cars because they want to capture like every interaction with these people on camera. And so <clears throat> that was really strange. It felt really weird. I felt super like lonely, weirdly enough. That we were away for like six weeks and I had no phone, no connection to the outside world. I didn't know the news. I didn't know anything. And all I could live and breathe was this competition and this game that we were in. And so you get this really warped sense of reality from it. Like you're just focusing on this the whole time. However, the flip side to that was that because I was in a business show, not like a love show or something like that, I was like almost in a forced workshop. I was like forced to learn so much in such a short amount of time. And whether you took it as a reality TV show or whether you took it seriously or whatever it was, like these mentors that we had there were genuinely business people and everyone around me on the show was genuinely business people. And so I kind of switched my thinking into, I was doing this for my businesses. Um, we weren't allowed to talk about our businesses on there because that would just be free publicity. But I figured, how yeah. can I maximize this? If I'm not going to win, what can I do that will make this worth it? And so I started networking inside the house and ensured that when I got out, I had a set number of contestants that I was going to reach out to, to try and get clients on board for the agency. And then same thing for the mentors and everyone else around me. So I actually walked out of there with like five solid leads um, for my business. And we managed to turn, yeah. which was um, Stephen McDowell's so Buzzy Kiwi. Uh, we turned his coffee brand into a successful brand and my mentors ended up owning um, Rude with him. So like there are like, yeah, it genuinely was a positive thing. I'm super glad that I had, my business mind on that whole time to make it worthy of the time. Like six weeks off work for me was a big deal. Um, yeah. And I ensured that I made sure I capitalize, capitalize off it in the end. Yeah. It must've been a pretty wild experience, especially how you say like not just no access to the outside world, like no yeah, that was real ability buzzing. to talk to people, no like meeting up with normal mates or like any of that, like just completely isolated. And you're lying too, because no one knows you're on it. And so like, like like the general public and all my friends and stuff yeah. that I was on it, they thought I was going away to Christchurch on some like workshop that I just couldn't <laughs> them. Like yeah. what workshop do you, can you not speak for to six weeks yeah, for six weeks? Because yeah. I, also, I didn't tell them a date because I didn't know how long I'd be back for. So like this workshop just kept extending and like a lot of my staff, like my CEO knew um, of the agency, but like a lot of the staff didn't know either. And they genuinely thought I was going to come back with all this knowledge from this workshop that I was doing. So it was, it was a really weird time i'm super grateful that i did it and i probably would do it again but it was a it was a struggle man like it was i had to like have a week when i came out of it to almost like get yourself back into reality like not almost feel like everyone was over your shoulder like someone was out to get you all the time like it you'd go to sleep kind of like having these conversations with these people but you didn't know whether they were like playing you or like trying to psych you out like most of the time yeah. like at the end of the day there was 50 grand on the line and for some of these people on the show that was like everything now I went on there for the experience. I knew that if I needed 50 grand investment, I could probably find that. And so I didn't take that part over. Don't get me wrong. It was still cool, but like, I didn't take it overly seriously where I started to realize that people on the show could literally be talking me out of situ certain situations because they were trying to win the money at all times. Yeah. Well, I guess for your, like where you're coming from saying you already have a business, like you can probably make a lot more than 50 grand from that show by the like you say, the experience, the connections, et cetera, like even getting a client out of it, you, you, you'll make a good, good bit off that. I imagine. And, um, potentially, yeah. I guess, did you get, yeah. Did you find many people like reached out that became clients that just watched the show and just became yeah, aware like, of you that way? Found some traction off the back of it. It was a TV NZ one show. And so 
that meant like quite a lot of older demographic probably watched it more so than younger. And so I didn't actually see my profiles grow nearly as much as I thought it would, but also realizing Uh, that we're on New Zealand reality TV. So it probably wasn't going to like take off like a, an overseas show. Um, but now like, not that like obviously like a little bit, but definitely nothing like noteworthy, but we, after I think having followers from Instagram was very different from having followers from TV. And so like quite quickly after that, people would like, I'd be just sitting out at dinner and Ponsonby and people would come up to me and ask for a photo. And so that didn't happen very much just from Instagram. How it would happen at like gigs and stuff when everyone's a bit drunk and like they're keen to come and talk to me. Yeah. But I think being on TV took it that step further and people like, and I did definitely get people like now messaging me probably more about business, which was quite cool. So previously I probably showed off like a lot more lifestyle content um and kind of kept a little bit of business to the side but after the show i get like quite a lot of people messaging me saying hey i want to start this business or i'm doing this or i'm doing that and i really like that i think that's really cool that they they saw what my real personality was on tv because that's like a really stripped back version of you right like you can't really hide and yeah and they still want to message me and like figure out how i can help them and i didn't even win so i think that's kind of a win in itself (laughs) i don't i don't think many people realize like um the entrepreneurship like in people behind the scenes, like whether it be like yourself, like you've built an audience as like a creative or there's like models out there who might have, might post no entrepreneurship content, but they're like extremely smart and they've got these successful businesses Yeah, people just don't like put two and two together. They see them as like a model or an athlete or Even the whatever. word influencer, I reckon, man, like I, that's a very broad term, but I genuinely <laughs> yeah. believe that some of these influencers are incredible hustlers. Like they like, they genuinely are running like 200, 300 grand a year salary businesses from themselves and they make it look like they're just living this great life. And look, there's goods and bads that don't get me wrong, but some of them are genuinely incredible business people. They're hustling deals all the time, but they make it look like it's an easy life and it's hard. It's a hustle. Yeah. And that's why I guess they get a lot of backlash. A lot of the time people are like, why is that person making this much money? Because they do see the social media and think it's easy, it's simple, yeah. but like, that's why there's see... bads to it, right? Yeah. Like, I definitely think there's probably a space for influencers to be a bit more transparent about that. And like, I would find it way cooler if you were showing the hustle behind it all rather than just showing the PR events. But I mean, people follow what people want to follow. Yeah, I guess that probably only really appeals to a small percentage of people like yourself, like me, who are want to see that whereas the rest of them want to see their whatever their content yeah 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 Yeah. a little bit smaller yeah definitely um one thing i wanted to quickly touch on before wrapping up is you said you didn't do well at university but you've done extremely like and didn't even did you say you didn't pass your business course or you did low marks i studied cambridge um yeah nca and a cambridge u is like I think like an American F, like it stands for ungraded oh. where they pretty much just don't give you a grade. They're like, no, this is so dog shit that you're just not nah, that, that, that. And I yeah. took business twice. I took it two years in a row and I got a U both times. So yeah, um, yeah, you can say that it probably wasn't my forte at the time. However, I could rewrite the business textbook now because of everything that I've learned and putting words like opportunity cost or leadership styles into actual play then I suddenly picked everything up and it was like, it was almost like a knack for me. It was something that just came naturally. I, I love the idea of staff and management and bringing people in and building a brand and everything that it encompasses, except the writing, the physical, actually putting it on paper to me was the really hard bit. I'm dyslexic yeah. person. And so every bit of that was a struggle for me. And because of that, the teachers just were like, no, you're not good at this. Like you should probably not do this. 
And I was like, I cool. So, so you almost like had the skills at the time, but it wasn't like marked in a way that suited your, I, I think so. Yeah. I personally think so. Like I had a photography business from 15, um, where I would go out and shoot weddings. At yeah. <laughs> now that I look back, I'm like, what were you doing? Um, but I personally think I had that drive. I was, you know, working the whole time, figuring out how I could save for the car. Like my parents both own businesses themselves, which inspired me heaps and probably owe most of it to them. To be fair, they were always pushing me to do this like business lifestyle business world because I'm a strong believer of what my dad's taught me that no matter how big your salary is, you'll always live within your means. Like even if you've got a 200 yeah. grand a year salary, you'll always still think that you want more. Whereas owning something and ownership is in the true value of success. In my opinion, whether that's owning your first new iPhone or owning like your first house or, or even just owning more and more businesses. That's where you see huge value, whether it's asset value or whether it's just success value to me, ownership was like a big thing there. And so I quite quickly realized that I would forfeit working and trying to get a huge salary in the upfront if it meant that I could own things in the long run. And that's still my, that's still my goal. Like I don't actually make a heap of money right now compared to probably some of my, even some of my friends in the world. And everyone kind of thinks that I'm just rolling in it, but yeah, mine's a long game, right? Like I've got a lot of ownership and a lot of things and they're all worth money. They're all just kind of sitting there in the background for now. Yeah. So you're, you're almost more proud of like what you've built as opposed to the salary that you're on. Well, to me, that's my success for sure. Like yeah. oh, don't get me wrong, I would love a huge salary, but I still genuinely <laughs> do believe that the bigger the salary I get, I'm still going to feel like you want the next thing. And that maybe that's just my personality, but I still think that everyone does live within that mean, you know, like the rent will just get more expensive or the car yeah. will just get better. Everything just gets like a little bit better and you still feel like you're always living on that, that road. And so, yeah, I wanted to invest in myself um, and figure out how to do that in a fun <laughs> way, I guess. And, and at the same time, stick it to the business teachers that told me I couldn't do it. <laughs> that's always a good motivator. Eh? I don't know um, if you've read much from Naval Ravikant by any chance. No. Nah. Um, but that's one of his big things is like having, having ownership, um, is the best way you're going to build something awesome. Well, um, like right? yeah, he's, um, yeah, big time angel investor, got some, a lot of interesting content, probably worth checking out. Um, thank you. Yeah. Smart follow. But, um, to, to finish this up, what would you say would be like the best piece of advice you could give to your younger self? If you go back to when you started out, maybe 15, 16, shooting weddings, getting into, building your, your agency, like what would be the best thing that you wish you'd learned? Um, do you get asked of that either on Instagram or sometimes on podcasts. And I think probably the one that I repeat all the time, which I still will stay cause I think it's important is when I found a mentor. So like realizing that I couldn't do it myself was probably the biggest yeah. thing. It was hard for my ego. I think a lot of people want to be the big guy, um, and or the big girl, sorry and just like make it all the way by yourself. And I realized that that was no longer the case. The sooner I could get mentors and business partners in is what transformed my business journey, realizing that why wouldn't you want to learn and share the success with these people who have done it so many times before you, rather than trying to learn it all yourself was probably a big one for me. And then I guess the second part of that was, which is still in relation was like, find, know, and understand your niche. And I guess my niche was being a creative, like being a creative director. I was so busy trying to be what I thought I wanted to be when in reality, like where my skill set was, was where I was going to make the most value, whether that means taking a step down from a job at work or 
or even like, yeah, moving yourself out of the lead role of your own business was a really, really hard thing for me to do. Yeah. But knowing that the best value that I could give my business was actually where I can deliver value, which was creatively was huge. And the business has changed ever since then. Like it's been so successful, not just because I'm not running it, but because I can give all my talents to where I want to be instead of sitting in P&L meetings. And I think that's something that's a really tough pill to swallow, but I wish I found that out earlier. Yeah, that's that's awesome advice because then you can hire someone that absolutely loves P&Ls and numbers and stuff that makes your head hurt yeah, and they can so do an amazing job at that. Yeah, and it's for you and yeah. as well. Like that's still going to help you. So why not like share the love? Stop being such an egotistical business. <laughs> yeah, which is tricky, but I guess good to <laughs> once you learn it and start doing it. Awesome, man. So this has been really good having you on. For people that want to find out more about you, your businesses, follow you, like, where can people find you? Yep. So my Instagram is at Kennedy and Z. That's where I post pretty much my daily life. That's where Josh and I probably connected the first time. And then all my other businesses fall off the back of that. I've got Glass Elephant Co, Colab NZ and the Whitening Co, probably like my main ones. So everything's on Instagram at the moment. Um, we're building up our TikTok. We're building up our websites. But if you want to see my day-to-day -day life and how I run it all, Instagram's the pop for now. Awesome. Yeah, definitely worth a follow to see what you're up to behind the scenes and so on. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Yeah, and that's all going to be linked below. But I think you've linked you've linked all your companies in your bio or something. Yes, on yeah. Instagram anyway. It yeah. looks cool. Like it is like built it's, this, built this. I saw yeah. um, you know the queen of all businesses, Chris Jenner, and her Instagram bio. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's like it's like this long. Yeah. And I was like, that woman knows how to get her share in businesses. Yeah, that, so that, that, I, just think I think it's like a bit more like this. But look, it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll build up once I can uh, give the time away. Yeah, there's still like five or six in there. I feel like that's a cooler flex and followers or whatever or likes. It's like all these different achievements that you've built or, or so on. I'm quite proud of that too. I think maybe you and I see stuff like that and think it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, uh, that's all linked below. Thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. That no, was great. Thank you for having me.